0: We certainly begin Advent on a solemn note as we listen to these readings, don't we? Jeremiah, who's living in a situation 590, 580 BC, 600 years before Christ, where everything that can go wrong has gone wrong. And yet, uh, Jeremiah, speaking out of that desperate, dark context, speaks of one who would come to rescue and Jesus Himself, when asked about end times, gives us what has traditionally been called the little apocalypse, uh, His version in the Gospels of what the end times will look like and how dramatic they will be, uh, Revelation being the big apocalypse, if you will, the big apocalyptic story, or the book of Daniel of the Old Testament, and here is uh, Jesus' Reader's Digest version of the end times that he gives in a very succinct way. But no dilution there and no no contradiction with what Daniel or Revelation uh, has to say about that. You know, we all really like justice most of the time. I was excited yesterday with 48 seconds left in that Georgia-Alabama game that they decided to review that interception. I wanted justice, and as I saw it played over and over again with that incredible fine-tuning of a video camera from innumerable angles, it was clear to me that uh, the ball had hit the ground first, and I was hoping for justice. And you know, that instant replay thing is a weird kind of, that review is a peculiar thing anyway, because we never see those on high. They're like gods looking down on the game. We don't know their names. We don't know who they are or what they are, but we expect justice from them. We expect objectivity. We don't expect an Alabama person in that room, and we don't expect a Georgia person in that room, because we want objective justice. And so it came. The decision of the world was overturned. The decision of the referee, the pass was called incomplete, and the game could move forward almost to an extraordinary conclusion of an upset, but not quite. Today is the first Sunday of Advent, and we hear of one who will come to judge the living and the dead. Before we celebrate him who has come, we acknowledge him who will come again to judge the living and the dead. And we like justice. I've recently seen Skyfall with Ellen as well. And that's a movie in which justice cries out. The dark, bad antagonist of James Bond could not be darker nor worse one would expect. Raul Silva, a deranged former agent alongside 007 of the British Secret Service he could not be darker or more evil, and we anticipate and look forward to justice by film's end. In fact, his dark character perhaps is only surpassed, only perhaps, by Keith Ledger as the Joker in The Dark Knight against the powers of goodness, Batman representing that And that horrid, dark portrayal of that joker in that movie. And again, we sit there almost on the edge of our seats, yearning for justice. And then somewhere along the line, if we are at all honest with ourselves, we will ask the frightening question, Is there any of that darkness in me? Is there any of that depravity in me? Dear, dear me, so much of that is true, that there is. What I do and what I have done. The psalmist today cries out, uh, rescue me, Lord, forgive me for the transgressions of my youth. Indeed, we all could say that. I could tell stories of misbehavior that would make your hair curl if you knew it was your pastor and priest. (laughs) Not only what I have done or do, but what I have said, regrettably said, to another person, to other individuals. And perhaps worst of all, in terms of darkness, what I have thought My own inner conversation and those dark secrets, what I have fantasized, imagined, or wished. My mother um, had a firm hand on some few topics. She was a gracious, compassionate, and absolutely beautiful woman, but there were some things, some lines she simply not only herself would not cross, she would not allow her eight children to cross. And from time to time, the words would come out. I have said them myself. And sometimes a brother or sister would say them to me. Or we would say it of a friend, if not a sibling. And the word, the sentence was, I wish you would drop dead. I wish he would drop dead. If mom heard that, Lord. She was absolutely and uncompromisingly clear that you never, would say that, can say that, no matter how not truthfully it is intended. You never offer, utter those words of anybody. Of course, she was right. But the things, not only that I think fantasize or imagine, I imagine I share some common territory here with all of us in here. I wish she was my wife, one might say, looking at another man's wife. I wish my husband was more like that man. I wish my son was like that child. Thoughtless, hurting kinds of thoughts. Envy and jealousy. Of course, Paul often goes to the heart of the matter. It's not very comfortable. And then Eugene Peterson takes Paul's Greek and and masterfully translates it into a kind of 21st century language that we can really connect with. So Paul will talk, for example, one of his long lists of the darkness in us is in Galatians. He talks about the, the work of the Spirit, and I have to admit that uh, Eugene Peterson captures my imagination with his own translation. When he writes of Galatians 5, it's obvious what kind of life devel- develops out of trying to get our own way all the time. Repetitive, loveless, cheap sex, a stinking accumulation of mental and emotional garbage, frenzied and joyless grabs for happiness, trinket gods, magic show religion, paranoid loneliness, cutthroat competition, all consuming yet never satisfied wants, a brutal temper. An impotence to love or be loved. Divided homes and divided lives. Small-minded and lopsided pursuits. The vicious habit of depersonalizing everyone into a rival. Uncontrolled and uncontrollable addictions. Parodies of community. And Paul concludes that I could go on. And he could. We hear in Alpha, in most Alpha, a rich quotation from an author of the 20th century, Somerset Mon, who wasn't a particularly religious man. In fact, he had his own life of darkness that one can, can read about. But he once said, if I wrote down every thought I have ever thought and every deed I have ever done, men would call me a monster of depravity. Paul knows that feeling. Perhaps all of us have or need to know that feeling. Paul writes in Romans 7, I've tried everything and nothing helps. This is Eugene Peterson translation again. I've tried everything and nothing helps, Paul writes. I am at the end of my rope. Is there no one who can do anything for me, he cries out. Isn't that the real question? Or as the NIV has it, who will rescue me from this body of death? And Paul answers his own question. May it be your answer and mine as well. The answer, thank God, is that Jesus, Messiah, can and does rescue us. John and Tyler and I would like to give to you in this Advent Christmas season A sermon series under the title of "Come." Actually, I think there's a longer title for the whole series, but I have lost that in the conversations. I don't know if Tyler or "Come," that's the the, "Come and Dwell." And so, we want to make a journey with you under this wonderful kind of, of framework of "O Come, O Come, Emmanuel," that cry of the human heart that we. Uh, that uh, that composer of that hymn uh, echoes for all of us as we sing it from year to year, and talk about coming. Come and judge, because we desire justice. Come and convict next week. Come and gather the week after. Come and purify Fourth Advent, Christmas Eve. The Day after that fourth Sunday, Monday, and Christmas Day, come and dwell. It's kind of wonderful the way Advent is created, in fact, as a liturgical season, a church season, in that um, it looks to the end first. You know, we do that with projects, actually. If we have a plan or a project and we need to make a schedule, we really decide. By answering the question, where do I start? By going to the end first so that we can see where we want to get to. And then we will work back from that end point to the present so we can know that it fits into our scheme of things. Now, the scriptures, the Bible tells us what is the end purpose. And Advent, when one speaks of that end time... Paul will write, for example, with tremendous excitement, I expect, in Ephesians, his letter to the church in Ephesus, Turkey, the Lord has made known to us the mystery of his purpose, where he's headed, what, what, what the end is. And he, then he answers that, in case you have any doubt what that mystery is, to bring all things in heaven and on earth under one head, even Christ. That's the end purpose. All things in heaven on earth. His intention and his desire is to bring all darkness and light under one headship. His intention is to bring all persons under that dominance of Christ's lordship. Only those who say no to Jesus will not be under that one umbrella. Because they have that free choice. But God's desire is that all would be under that one head. All religions, however God has this worked out, will be subsumed under one head, even Christ. And yet with that end time story and expectation that we have from Scripture, from Genesis to Revelation, we also have this truth is that with the end and with that restoration And with all those of us being restored under this one head will come judgment. And we like justice. But we mostly like it when it's about somebody else. So Jesus will speak of this as well in Matthew 25 as we made reference to a few weeks ago when he says that there are actually going to be sheep and goats at the end time. And to the goat He will say, and those goats, he means people in active rebellion who turn away from their only source of rescue, even Jesus. He will say finally to them in their rebellion think of the dark night and that active rebellion. Think of Raoul in the James Bond movie and that active rebellion. But think of it on a particular and local scale as well for those in rebellion. Jesus will have to say, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and the devil's angels. You will go with them. They will go away to eternal punishment. But Jesus goes on and says, but the righteous will go away to eternal life. And he will say to those, the sheep, if you will, of his pasture, come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. And so we hear the cry of the human heart from Jeremiah, from the hymn, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, the prayer that we have prayed this morning through that worship song, O Come, Emmanuel, God with us. Ransom captive Israel. We are Israel. Ransom, captive Israel, that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appear. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. Or another verse of that hymn, O come thou rod of Jesse. Jesse is David's father's name, and David is the root of and the shoot, or we pray for the root and shoot of Jesse and the root and shoot of David. O come, thou rod of Jesse, and free thine own from Satan's tyranny. From depths of hell, thy people save and give them victory over their grave. O come, O come, Emmanuel. Rejoice, rejoice. Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. We've heard a reading from Jeremiah this morning which offers that same promised hope. In those days, Jeremiah, as God speaks through this prophet, in those days at that time, I will make a righteous branch sprout from David's line. I like that the NIV capitalizes the word branch, personalize it because we know, because we stand beyond when that righteous branch came, that that branch starts also with a capital J for Jesus. He will do what is just and right in the land. In those days... Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will live in safety. And you, brothers and sisters, are invited and are residents of that city, Jerusalem, the holy city of God. But Jeremiah writes that at one of the darkest and most desperate times that anybody has ever lived in him. Perhaps there are those who have lived in as bad a times, but probably never worse time than when Jeremiah lived. 595, 590, 585, 580 BC. He writes and prophesies in a time when Israel as a nation is being obliterated. Jerusalem, the city, is being destroyed. And is burned and laid waste. Not a stone is left standing. And the temple that had been in place for five centuries, the first temple, is destroyed as well. And they are taken into exile. Uh, Jeremiah himself taken to Egypt. And yet he writes, in that desperate place, I will make a righteous branch sprout from David's line. And Judah will be saved. And Jerusalem will live in safety. We too live at times in disruptive times. Some of us have lived long enough to know war. Not only have known it, some of us have participated in it through armed forces service. We live in times of uncertainty with our economy and our political situation, which is cause for some for anxiety and concern about the direction we are headed as a nation. And if that were not enough, some of us live in our own personal time of suffering. Whether it's a disease that we carry in our bodies or a disease that a loved one carries in their bodies and we fear for our or their safety, or it's because of the economy that has caused job loss or job diminishment, or whether it is conflict in a relationship with a spouse or children or children with parents, Jeremiah and his word is for you as it was for them in that time of desperation. In those days and at that time, I will make a righteous branch sprout from David's line. We can add, even Jesus. He will do what is just and right. Judah will be saved. Jerusalem will dwell and live in safety. You will be saved. And you will live in safety. So, journey with us in this sermon series. We've weighed... And invited the Lord to come and judge at the end times. You know, we have a preface prayer for Advent in the consecration prayer that we uh, sometimes is heard. And uh, I love it because it gives such a wonderful color to Advent. Uh, We pray that we might without shame or fear rejoice to behold your appearing. We want the Lord to come not only for his justice, but we want him to come Because we have known him not only as the judge, but also as the Savior. And we are enabled to stand without shame or fear, rejoicing at his coming. How do you have that Jeremiah heart in the midst of troubles? How do you have that Paul or Jesus himself expectation? Reminded of Habakkuk, a wonderful Old Testament prophet And he says this, uh, he spoke of a time of despair in his life. I heard and my heart pounded, my lips quivered at the sound, decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come. And then he says, with a wisdom that transcends the ages, Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines. Though the olive crop fails, and the fields produce no food. Though there are no sheep in the pen, and no cattle in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. Do you hear the expectancy and hopefulness? And he concludes that great final chapter of his short book. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to go on the heights. And the story, the book, I'm sorry, concludes with a footnote. For the director of music on my stringed instruments. Something that was meant to be sung. When we sing, we pray twice. Something, a message of expectation. So we can conclude with this note and uh, let these be a feast for your eyes as well. Before you come and judge, Lord, please come and dwell incarnation, working back from the end to where we are now. And in dwelling with us, convict us of our need of you. Only you as the way, the truth, and the life. Come and gather us at the waters of baptism. Come and purify us. That we might be washed in the blood of the Lamb, in other words, as we approach and come humbly to the cross. Come and purify us so that when my date with judgment comes, or the day of judgment, the end times, come. I will be washed, purified, gathered with yours, and saved. Amen.